Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise the Lord. Today is, if you will turn with me to John chapter 3 and verse 16. We'll read a familiar verse today before we begin our study. John 3 and 16. Most of us probably could quote this scripture. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God gave his only begotten Son so that we may have everlasting life. As you you can be seated today, this series is going to examine Jesus' grace-filled power for powerful response to faith through the encounters that believers in the New Testament call us today is to seek Jesus with faith. You know, Jesus, through this we're going to talk about in this next month, is we're going to talk about Jesus' grace field and its powerful response to our faith. If we have faith, God always responds. If you have faith of some, to your, God healing your body, God responds to faith. And in that. You may have never heard of a guy named Roland Stewart, but if you was a sports fan, lived in the, through the 80s, you may be familiar with some of his work. The Colorado Springs Gazette described Stewart as a fixture in American sports culture in the 1980s. Stewart became known for his showing up at major sporting events with a sign emblazed with John 3.16. He always made sure to secure a seat in a location where a television cameras could not miss his message. After converting to Christianity, Stewart had made it his life's mission to bring maximum visibility to John 3.16. He made his first television appearance at the 1977 NBA Finals, and eventually he was spotted at the Olympics, the Augusta National Golf Club, the Kentucky Derby, the World Series, the Super Bowl, and even the royal wedding of Princess Diane and Prince Charles. He wore a rainbow-colored wig, which helped draw attention to himself and to his message of John 3.16. He traveled 60,000 miles annually to promote this one single verse. Stewart's story has a tragic twist. However, he was married married multiple times with his fourth wife, filing for divorce in 1990 over allegations of physical abuse. Stewart's behavior became increasingly erratic as time passed. In September of 1991, he attempted to hold three hostages in a hotel room in Los Angeles. The SWAT team showed up and Stewart was arrested and eventually was sentenced to three consecutive life sentences. He is currently incarcerated in a California state prison. Roland Stewart's ministry, so-called ministry, came to a sad end 
but perhaps not completely unexpected given his personal history. But the popularity of John 3.16 lives on. According to LifeWaves research, it is the most popular Bible verse on the website Bible Gateway in 2021. Perhaps because we all need a frequent reminder of God's love for us. While tragic, as tragic as Stuart's story, his story illustrates an important truth, the power of John 3.16 is not, the power is not, the power of John 3.16 is not in the verse reference. It's not in what you read or what you see or being shown. The power is placed in placing our faith in the Son of God who offers eternal life to everyone who is born again. It's not for the scripture. It's not for us just to share that scripture. It's not for us just to quote it every time we can. That's not where the power lies. The power lies in the message behind the scripture. The son, the one that offers eternal life. So how tragic this story may be of Mr. Stewart, his, he, he got the message, but he got it in the wrong order. He lost what the really the truly should he should have put his trust in. He should have put his trust trust not in the scripture or not trying to get this scripture out, this message out. He should have been trying more more involved in trying to, to get the power of what the scripture meant and, and the meaning the meaning of the scripture. So today we talk about as Brother Daryl's already talked about is Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee, a member of this the Sanhedrin and the highest governing Jewish religious authority. He was, a, he was a conservative Jew who developed, who believed in strict adherence to the law of Moses. An average Jewish citizen revered the Pharisees because of their religious status. Unlike the Sadducees, the ruling, this ruling Jewish party of the Jew, Jesus' day of the Pharisees believed in God's supernatural intervention in the world including the existence of angels and future resurrection. It is likely Nicodemus approached Jesus at night. We know this scripture. He, he approached Jesus at night because he didn't want his fellow Pharisees to know about his visit. Here Nicodemus, he believed in what he felt. He wanted to meet Jesus. But the scripture says he met him at night. And I don't think this was by happenstance. I believe he did this because under the cover of darkness, because he didn't want no one else to see. So sometimes Christians, sometimes people, we meet people on the street today. Sometimes they come in, they may not be at night or they may not be in, in the darkness. But they may be coming underneath some kind of hidden thing. Because they don't want everybody else on the job site to know that they're really wanting to know about God. So sometimes we have to look into things like this. Sometimes, sometimes we look at things differently. We look at them as just kind of this subtle hint Maybe this subtle request or subtle ask a simple question about our gospel. Sometimes, and I'll be, I'll be here today, I'll be transparent today. Sometimes I've missed that subtle thing. Because here they were trying to, to find out more about my God or about more about my, what, 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 my, my religion or about more about me and my, my Christian walk with God when they was coming underneath that dark side. It wasn't maybe the darkness of dark, but it was, it was kind of coming underneath a cover from some other way. So, so this is today Nicodemus was coming across and I think he was coming behind this where no one else knew what he was coming about. Most of the other Sanhedrin members hated Jesus because he wasn't afraid to confront their 
their, uh, the hypocrisy with the truth. He, he was, Jesus wasn't afraid to call, call it wrong. He wasn't afraid to call sin, sin. And so many of them, the Sanhedrin's did not like him. They didn't want him around because just like any other times, you don't want, you don't want him in your life. I heard Brother Mark Morgan say here a while back in a message, he was talking and preaching and he says, everybody talks about they want a prophet and to the prophet calls out the sin in your life. And then he said, nobody wants a prophet in their life. He said, do you, and so he was in his message, he was saying, do you really want a prophet? Because sometimes if you're not doing what God is calling you to, or if you're doing got sin in your life, and that's what Jesus was. Jesus was the prophet. Jesus was calling out the sin. He knew they're wrong. He could see they couldn't cover up their sin, and that's why many did not like Jesus, or many did not want him. Later, they condemned Jesus to death because that some of that was because they didn't want him around because he was outing them as their religious leaders. He was outing that there wasn't truly what they said they were. The night, nighttime setting of Nicodemus's visit symbolizes the spiritual darkness that prevailed in the God's people at that time. You know, and we've, we look at today, we look at our life, and you look at things, and, you know, sin loves the darkness. Sin loves the darkness. And sometimes in life, just like that, you know, we find, you know, if you find a sinful place, it don't have to be a sinful place, they want the lights dimmed. They want to go underneath the cover of, of the darkness because, it, because no one wants the true light shined if you have sin in your life. When it came to the comprehending the spiritual truth, Nicodemus and most of the countrymen were in darkness. Today, we live in a dark world. We live in a day like this today. We live in a day that where no one really wants a light in the world, wants a light shined in the darkness because it outs what things has for them. The enemy does not want the light. As a child, we used to sing a song, hide my light under a bushel. And so today, you know, that's what the enemy, he, the enemy fights every day for us to hide our light. He wants us to hide this light that we have. But Jesus is the light of the world. He was about, and he was about to illuminate Nicodemus' understanding. It is clear when, you know, we look at, when Jesus gets into the situation, he illuminates your life. He illuminates your understanding. Doesn't matter what you face and how much you don't understand. When you allow Jesus to get into the situation, he can illuminate what you don't understand. He can illuminate the, the situations in your life. He can illuminate the darkness in your life. It is clear from Nicodemus' opening statement that he possessed some measure of faith in Jesus' words and his works. We know from just his first, first sentence he said, we know he had some kind of measure of faith. He said in John, John 3 and 2, he says, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with you him. Here he said he knew what he saw in Jesus' life. I believe he knew what he felt in Jesus' life. That there was something different about this guy. There was something different about this person in his life. This, he was different from this prophet that considered himself a prophet. There was something different about him. 
because he's seen what he saw in his life. The seeds of faith that, that drew Nicodemus to Jesus. And I feel like this difference that he saw in Jesus, even though he had some dark areas in his life, some areas that he didn't understand the whole concept of what Jesus, who Jesus and what Jesus was all about, there was some, something that intrigued him to want to know more. And I feel like today the world is out there and the world is wanting, they're intrigued about what they need, they want to know more. They want to know what the difference is. They want to know the things in life. The people on our jobs want to know why we are different. They want to know why when we face things in our life, troubles in our life, that we handle them differently. They see that and they're intrigued by that. And I feel like that is what Nicodemus was. He did not fully understand who Jesus was or what he had come to do. But Nicodemus recognized there was something special about the Lord. As Jesus so often did in the gospel accounts, he cut straight to the heart of the matter. He didn't beat around the bush. He went straight to the heart of the matter. He said in John 3 and 3, except, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus had not asked about being born again. He didn't possess enough spiritual understanding to even know to ask the question. But Jesus knew exactly what Nicodemus needed. And he pointed, that, pointed to that conversation in that direction. He changed the whole matter of things. He's, here he was, and he said, Nicodemus didn't even ask the question, but Jesus already knew what he needed, what he needed in his life. And the mental, he immediately acknowledged it is not enough. We must be born again. And that's what Jesus was telling him. Yeah, I, I know you know who I am, or you believe I am who I am, or I know you believe that I can do miracles, and I know you believe that I can change lives. But just knowing that is not enough. He says, you must be born again. Just believe and just accepting that who Jesus is is, not, is important, but it's not enough. That is the first step of believing who he is and accepting who Jesus is. and Accepting Jesus died on the cross for our sins. All that part is important, but it is not enough. We must be born again. Nicodemus responded to Jesus with a question. When Jesus said, you must be born again, he said, how? How can I be born again? Most of us here today know, this, know he asked, how can I go back into the mother's womb? And, but, but today, you know, he asked us the question, how can I be born again? Unlike most of the critics of Christianity who had ridiculed the claims of Jesus throughout the centuries, Nicodemus was not a scoffer. He wasn't one that's trying to find out, prove Jesus wrong. He was, wanting, he was sincere. He was a sincere seeker who wouldn't let his momentarily confusion dissuade him from being pursuing the truth. Yeah, he didn't understand what was, what was going on. He didn't understand what Jesus was saying. He didn't understand how he could be born again. But he wouldn't allow that confusion to dissuade him from being pursuing more in truth. And today, our prayer should be that today. We, our prayer should be for, for people that's, that don't understand everything. Don't let them be persuaded or don't allow them to be confused 
to a point of, of giving up before they really get all the truth. Don't allow me to be overcome by, by, the, by the confusion or dissuaded by this, me not understanding the scripture, for not pursuing more and more of the scripture. Can I tell you today, this Bible, if I'm not, I might not be, I know I went, I went long, good, long division either, but there's a lot of things in this Bible sometimes that I don't, under, I don't quite understand. I know I'm not a book scholar, I'm not a professor, I'm not somebody that's real educated, but there's some things in this, in this Bible that I don't understand. But I can't allow that to persuade me not to, to search for more. You know, you read through Revelation, some of that stuff I don't understand, and some of it I may not never understand. But I can't allow that to allow me not to read this gospel. And as I said earlier, pray for God's light to shine on that word. Because I've many, many times in my studies, I've learned that God, when I said, Jesus, I don't understand this. I don't understand why, what you're saying here. And Jesus shined a different light on it. And as he shined that different light on that word, I, was, I understood it better. That I didn't understand it all. But I understand it better. Understand what he needed me to know that day. And so we, we can't allow our, un, our, thing, our confusion and understanding not to, to reach for more. The conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus is a reminder that God is not put off by our lack of understanding. Or by our questions. He's not put off by that. As I just said, when I pray for God to show me, I don't understand that, God. You know, sometimes when we say, when we tell someone, we're trying to give them directions, I don't understand what you're saying. Sometimes we kind of get a little frustrated with them. After you have to tell them three or four times. But sometimes, you know, but God, God don't get, He don't get that way with us. We keep asking because He knows our heart. He knows if we're truly hungry. If we keep asking for more, Lord, can you show me one more time? God is really, he, he, don't, he don't get put off by our lack of understanding or questions. Hebrews eleven six 6 tells us that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So if we're diligently seeking him, he's going to be a rewarder for that. We cannot seek God even, we can seek God even when we don't understand everything he says. Jesus offered, offered comfort, assurance to all who approach God in prayer. In Matthew 6 and 8, he says, Your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. He already knows what we need. He already knows what we need before we ask. Just like Nicodemus. He knew what Nicodemus needed. Before Nicodemus walked on the scene, he knew he needed to be born again. And that's why he cut to the chase. He went straight to what he needed. He went straight to where he needed to be and that's what he needed him to know today. This is good news because most of us don't really know what we really do need. We come to the church so many times, and I'll be honest, I've talked about myself today. I come to church sometimes and come to, to the, for prayer, asking for one thing, when God really knows I need something different. Sometimes we come for, need, we come for, for prayer, we ask for prayer sometimes for a physical need or for this or for that a financial blessing or whatever we may need, but we don't really know what we need, but, but God knows. God knows what we truly need. Like Nicodemus, we may come to Jesus with a certain purpose in mind, 
hoping to receive a certain answer. But because he knows both our thoughts and our deepest needs, he can redirect us toward what we truly is important for us. We can confidently approach the Lord in prayer and offer him questions and even, even we can offer him doubts. Anybody ever doubted what you felt like God was wanting to do in your life? God don't, God don't discount you because you doubt. Because he knows your heart. He knows you truly want to do what's right. Even though when you doubt things. In Revelations 2 and 23, Jesus described himself as he which searcheth the reins and hearts. You know, he knows our heart. He knows what we desirely need. That could be terrifying to realize that for those that are bent toward evil. But it's a comfort to anyone who sincerely seeks him but does not know how to pray. You know, God knows the intent of our heart. Sometimes we can cover up things in our life and everybody else around us think we have good intentions. But God knows our intentions. He knows our heart and that's what the scripture in Revelation is talking about. He knows the intentions of our heart so if, if we if we're, have a evil thoughts behind our, th- our life, God knows that. But if we have good intentions and we just, we're doing something because we just don't know not to do it, if we're doing something because we feel like we don't know which direction to go, God is not going to, no, he's, he, he knows our heart. Paul also assured us in Romans 8 and 26, he says, we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings with which come cannot be uttered. Sometimes when we don't know to pray. Anybody else here been to the altar and they don't, just don't have the words to speak, to pray. Sometimes it just comes out as groanings. But the Bible says here in Romans, Paul says, the Spirit knows what you're trying to say. You don't have to voice the words in English or in Spanish or whatever language. Sometimes God just knows the groanings of your heart. He knows what we need. Jesus goes on to explain the new birth. He says, we must be born of the water. And it is clear from the context of this conversation that Jesus was referring to water baptism when he said, we must be born of water. Because immediately following his conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus and his followers went into the land of Judea and baptized. Giving... The, giving the many New Testament statements and examples stressing the importance of water baptism in Jesus' name, it is, it is imperative we obey Jesus' command to be born of water. We, we, if we want to enter God's kingdom, we must be born of the water. I've heard people say that water baptism is not important. I've heard people say, well, it's, it's optional. But I read the scripture. The scripture says if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born of the water. And there's only one way to be born of the water, and that's immersion in water, completely immersion in water, and in, under the name of Jesus Christ for remission of your sins. There's only one way to be born of the water, and that is the scripture text we read in here today. We cannot, cannot, but we cannot stop with water baptism. 
Because that's just part of the plan. Jesus clearly stated that the full new birth experience also included, included spiritual baptism. Spiritual baptism would be accompanied by a sign in the scripture. We must be born of the water and of the spirit. Jesus noted that both the wind and the birth of the spirit are accompanied by sound. You know, we would scripture and text in, in the day of Pentecost. When the day of the spirit, when the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, there came as a sound, as a heaven, as a mighty rushing wind in Acts 2. So today we find, you know, the sound coming forth. The wind of the spirit produced another sound. The voices of believers speaking with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. We must be born of the water and of the spirit. Just as we wash away our sins in water baptism, then God can fill us with his spirit, with the Holy Ghost and being born of the spirit. There was 120 believers who had gathered in the upper room in Jerusalem in obedience to Christ's command were the first to experience the new birth Jesus had described to Nicodemus, but they were not the last. We know that scripture, we know that today there's millions of believers around the world have been baptized in Jesus' name and have received the Holy Ghost indicating by speaking in tongues, just as Jesus described in Nicodemus. Here, Nick, here Jesus was talking about, you know, we talk about the scripture, you know, Acts 2.38. Where else you go about being baptized, the new birth situation, the new birth plan? And that is in John 3 when he tells Nicodemus, you must be born of the water and of the spirit. The religious leaders had begun the conversation by stating, he, he, this religious leaders began his conversation by stating, we know, we know who you are. But only in a few sentences later, Jesus had stretched Nicodemus' understanding past the, break, to the breaking point. Despite his extensive knowledge of the scripture, Nicodemus did not grasp what Jesus was saying. You know, here, here, this, this guy he was talking was not just a guy off, in the off the street. Nicodemus was an educated man. He was educated about religious things. He was educated about a lot of things. But he did not grasp what Jesus was saying. Sadly, many faithful, faithful religious people are still in the dark about water baptism and about spiritual baptism and has never personally experienced what Jesus described. Human intelligence is not sufficient to comprehend spiritual truths. Sometimes in our mind, we try to think of, some, there's, there's people that try to, if, if they can't figure it out, how it's going to happen. They don't believe it. They don't understand it. But our human intelligence is not sufficient to comprehend what God can do. What God does when he, he, he gives us that new birth experience. We can't comprehend that. We, we grow up in life and we go through life and we, we live a sinful life. But as we can't understand how God could just wash away our sins. How God could forgive us from some of the things that we can't forgive ourselves for. As Paul would later write in 1 Corinthians 1 and 21, the world by wisdom knew not God. And today, that remains the case in our world. The world by wisdom knew not God. Human wisdom will not produce a supernatural resort, results. The good news is that salvation does not require a great intelligence. We don't have to have a college degree. We don't have to be educated to, 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 
receive salvation. We don't have to have this Bible studies for six weeks. We don't have to have, I mean, all this stuff is good. I'm not discounting any of that. But for salvation, we don't have to go through a 12-week program or we don't have to go through this or that. You don't have to know so much because God, the good news is salvation does not require that. The only requirement is obedient faith. If you have obedient faith, on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached this necessary of both water baptism and in the, in the, in the, water baptism in the name of Jesus and the filling of the Holy Spirit, Approximately 3,000 people received his word and were baptized. You know, we all know the scriptures. We know the scriptures. We know the stories. But the power behind that message is, is when he preached that message, all he said was, you've got to be obedient. He was preaching to people that didn't speak the same language. He was, preaching, he was preaching people from all over. But they all did the same thing. There probably was people that was educated. There were probably people there that that had, didn't even have a third grade education. They probably see people there that, had, that never even, didn't even know how to say the alphabet. Didn't even know how to read or write. And there probably was even people there that was lawyers in the crowd. I'm just, it could have been possible. But they all received the same gift when they were obedient. Today we can believe and obey the words of Jesus to, that, that he gave to Nicodemus. And subsequently witness and, and the witness of the apostles and experience that firsthand what he, it is like to be born again of the water and of the spirit. John 3.16 is one of the most frequently cited verses in the entire Bible because, it's, because it summarizes the gospel message. God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. When the New Testament speaks of Jesus as the Son of God, it is referring to Jesus' as a, Jesus' role as Savior. John 3.16 also tells us that Jesus is the begotten Son of God, meaning that as a man, Jesus came into existence at a specific point in time. Here, Jesus came for one thing. He came to die on a cross for our sins. As a son of God, Jesus lived a sinless life and he died on that cross for sacrifice for our sins. When we put our faith in his work at Calvary, when we believe in him, as John 3.16 declares, we will have everlasting life. Biblically speaking, belief is more than just a mental acknowledgement that Jesus died on the cross. To believe in him means more than just believe that he died on the cross. So many people say, if you believe that he's died on the cross for your sins, it includes obedience to his commands. It goes beyond just believing who he was, what he did for us. But it includes obedience to his command. That's where so many people steps back. They, well, they believe, I believe he's, he's, he died on the cross for me. But then when it goes of being obedient to what he says to do, this, is, this command includes his command to be born again of the water and of the spirit. Jesus concluded his conversation with Nicodemus by observing that the light is coming to the world. In both John 8 and 12 and in John 9 and 5, Jesus declared, I am the light of the world. Nicodemus 
had come to Jesus under the cover of darkness, as I said earlier, not realizing he was approaching the one who illuminates everything. Yeah, here he was coming under the darkness, thinking he was coming under something, hiding something, but not realizing he was coming into the true light, including the, including the spiritual darkness in his heart and in his, of his humanity. You know, sometimes in life when we come into this, when we walk into this church and we walk to this altar and we, we raise our hands in repentance, what we're really doing is we're coming into that light that's illuminating all the sins in our life. That's why we feel conviction. Because you come in contact with the light. You know, when you're outside in the world in the darkness, that's why they don't, sinners don't feel convicted. But when they walk in a house of house of God it's not nothing to do with the building it's not nothing to do with the LED lights in the ceiling it's because you're coming in touch with the true light and that light shows it's the spiritual darkness that's in your heart and that's why you feel conviction John 1 and 9 says Jesus is the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world there is no True outside, no, there's no truth outside the light outside of Jesus Christ. He is the true light. Before their conversation ended, Jesus told Nicodemus that he that he that doeth truth cometh to the light. And we must come to the light to be see our sins revealed. Truth is more than just truth is just is truth is more than just a set of facts. To believe. It is involving some doing and some action. We can't just read over a list of, 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 of rules and things we must stand by. We must involve doing something. We must involve some action. Coming to God is more than just living the truth. It's more than just living by a set of standards. It is by doing something. Doing truth includes obeying Jesus' command to be born of the water and the spirit, which is the only way to enjoy everlasting life that is promised in John 3.16. So many people quote that scripture, but they don't f- fulfill that scripture. If you have never been born again of the water and of the spirit, today is your opportunity. If you've never experienced that of the water or the spirit. Today is your day. Obey the command of Jesus. Repent of your sins. Be baptized in Jesus' name and he will fill you with the Holy Spirit. This promise in John 12 and 32 says, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to me. That is a promise from Jesus. He promises us that he will draw all men to him. The cross wasn't the solution the disciples was expecting. You know, when the disciples, they said the king of kings was, they was in, in the presence of the king of kings, they weren't looking for him hanging on a cross. That ain't what they had planned. That ain't what they, they was, their direction they was wanting him to go. That wasn't their solution. But it was exactly what humanity needed. It wasn't what we would have planned. We wouldn't have wanted to see our leader, our command, you know, our king hanging on a cross. 
being beaten. But that is exactly what human humanity needed. Jesus' words echoed in Isaiah 45 and 22 where God said, Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. Only by looking unto Jesus, God manifest in the flesh, can we find deliverance. Only looking to him. We can't find it, no one else. You can't go to the, to the pastor and he, he take care of your sins. He can't carry you to the back room and talk to you and take care of your sins. Only God manifest in flesh is where we can find our deliverance. Only by believing in his saving work at Calvary and obeying his commands to be born again of the water and of the spirit can we find eternal life. But those who have been born again of water and of spirit know that the, that the preaching of, of the cross is the power of God and the hope of eternal life. You know, we can find that, we can discover that power today when you call on Jesus. You know, the scripture talks about Nicodemus. He preached to Nicodemus and he told him, you must be born of the water and of the spirit to enter the kingdom of God. That's, that, that stands true for us today. Nothing changed. We must be born of the water and of the Spirit. So many times in life we find ourselves, you know, we find ourselves looking, or people looking, find ourselves looking for different ways to be saved. Because they don't want to give up. They don't want that light to shine in their life to show all the dark areas. It's so easy to give up some things in life. And that's what today I feel like is sometimes in the world we live today is, is really the religious world is pushing. As long as we just... I, I, I live a good life and I do a good things. How could God send me to hell? But I'm here today. God says if you want eternal life, you must be born of the water and of the spirit. And you must follow his directions, his commands, and everything that you do. As we, as we go through life, you know, we, have, we must do, preach this gospel. We must seek God in everything that we do. And go that direction and every direction we go. If we want to discover the power that God has for our life, we want to discover what God is really in our life wanting to do in our life. We can't allow this world to influence us. We can't allow the world in our life to change our presence and change our direction. We must allow, change the message because God gave us a precise message. And throughout the gospels, every disciple, you know, we don't, we can't, we, you know, people question us, well, this message, what, what about this or that? But when you see every disciple followed the same, same plan, there everyone preached the same message. You must be born of the water and of the Spirit. And today as we, as we find eternal life, we must go this route today. As I begin to close today, I ask us today, if you have never experienced that, that message or if you've never experienced been, been born of the water or the Spirit, I urge you today to, to make this your day. You can have that experience before you walk out this, this house today. Today as we stand across this place, I ask us to pray right now that God will lead us and direct us today and God will allow this word to be planted today. Lord, I ask you to touch each one of us today. I ask you to minister right now, Lord Jesus, in our minds today. And, I ask you, Lord Jesus, to touch each one of us here today, Lord Jesus, and allow us, Lord Jesus, if we want eternal life, Lord, we must be born of the water and of the Spirit. 
Lord Jesus, I ask you to touch this word and this message, Lord Jesus, and allow it, Lord Jesus, to go forth, Lord. And I ask you to touch each one here today, the remainder part of this service today. Lord, I ask you to minister, Lord Jesus, through us today. Lord, administer through us in this service, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.